You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. In a world where film studios have pillaged every young adult novel, DC'd every comic book series, and Frankenstein every silver screen monster in search of the next movie mega franchise. Two nerds. Two movies. One cinematic universe. This is Randy, and today I've got something quite a bit different for you. So, if you're listening to this on the day of release, tomorrow is my birthday. So I decided I wanted to do something different because fuck you, it's my birthday and my podcast. So, instead of the usual two reviews, cinematic universe pitches, which is fun, we'll get back to that next episode, don't worry. I wanted to deviate and do a solo episode for this episode and just talk about, you know, there I threw a lot of ideas around in my head. What you almost got this episode was a commentary track, a solo commentary track for one of my favorite horror movies of all time, It Follows. I ultimately decided against that because I'm like, eh, I don't think people really like commentary tracks as podcast episodes. I like the idea of doing that, and maybe we'll do that more in the future if people are interested as like a Patreon thing, or, you know, it doesn't even have to be behind the paywall, but... Maybe that's something I'll touch on again later in the future. So then I was like, well, maybe I'll keep with the theme of TV horror, meaning horror movies about TV or technology, because that would tie into our previous episode, which you should definitely listen to if you haven't. I was joined by Melanie, my Grolix podcast co-host and girlfriend, and we talked about two movies, two horror movies that had to do with technology, including Pulse, which is the standout because... I'd never heard of it. This is Pulse from 1988. It was great. If you haven't listened to that episode, you should definitely go visit it. So I thought about doing a list, a list episode, which I love doing. I love the structure of a list episode. It's very straightforward, and we get to kind of nail through more movies than we usually do in an episode, which is obviously two. And then I watched What Did Jack Do? What Did Jack Do on Netflix? This is a David Lynch short film that was released on Netflix. And also, thanks to Melanie for reminding me that this existed. I'd heard that there was a David Lynch short film released on Netflix, but forgot to check it out. Forgot that it was a thing. It's one of the many things every day that flows into my eyeballs from the internet and then just evaporates. But I'm glad she reminded me because I went and I checked it out. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's perfectly David Lynch. Now, I'm not going to really talk that much about the short film itself. I don't really have a whole lot to say about it. Instead, it just kind of made me want to talk about David Lynch because this is my film podcast and we've never covered any David Lynch movies. And David Lynch is one of my all-time favorite filmmakers ever, all time. (laughs) So instead of It Follows, instead of technology horror I just want to talk a little bit about David Lynch, David Lynch films, and more from the perspective of why I'm a fan. Because David Lynch is this kind of filmmaker, he's not for everybody. His films are not for everybody. And 
unlike some filmmakers where I'm like, this is a great film. And if you don't like it, you know, there's a little hyperbole here, but if you don't like it, you're wrong. David Lynch is not that kind of filmmaker because I understand why his work does not appeal to people. It's very strange. That's an understatement. <laughs> it's an understatement. But typically you either like David Lynch stuff or it's weird and you don't get it. And just a little insight for the people, for you, for you listeners who think it's weird, you don't get it. The people who like it kind of feel the same way. A lot of his stuff is weird and there's a lot of it. It's it, none of it's spelled out, but anyway, so let's, let's explore that a little bit. This episode, let's talk a little bit about it is weird. Why is it weird? Why do I like it? And is it pretentious? Is that it? So that's kind of the aspect. That's kind of how I want to approach this. So to first kind of understand why I'm such a fan of David Lynch, I need to talk a little bit about myself. I'll be brief. This isn't about me, but to kind of put it in context, because for me, David Lynch isn't like your, your Christopher Nolan or even Stanley Kubrick, amazing filmmakers. But for me, David Lynch has kind of a different spot because so let's, let's okay. Let's get into the filmmaker thing. I wanted to be a filmmaker for the majority of my life. There was a big chunk of time where that was my life goal. Eventually, I I kind of dropped it. I kind of dropped it because I got to a point where I was like, you know, it hasn't happened yet. And honestly, creative desire aside, my personal skill set isn't really suited to being in quote unquote the industry or whatever that industry was. I never pictured myself like a Hollywood type, you know, but all that is just to set up that like, this isn't just like, oh, I wanted to make movies. Like this was my life goal for the majority of my adult life. So just to set up the importance of that desire and why I say David Lynch has a more special position in my mind as a filmmaker is because son of a bitch, he's partially responsible and, you know, if you want to get outside of the absurd and be like, well, let's ignore the filmmaker fact, just like how much I'm into film. I'd say there are two filmmakers that really turned me on to what film could be. And that would be Alfred Hitchcock and David Lynch. So I appreciated movies before I really got into David Lynch films, but it's David Lynch films that really kicked off, I guess, kind of my understanding of movies informed my view of movies. One movie in particular Lost Highway, Lost Highway, because, well, it came out at the perfect time, 1997. I was a, it was an older teen at that point. It was the perfect time, but Lost Highway, because <laughs> that movie, I don't, I, I can't, I don't know if I can even say it's necessarily my favorite David Lynch film at this point, but that is the first movie where I was like, a movie can be this, a movie can be this, like it's, in sections linear enough to be like, there's a plot, you can follow it, but it's also weird. It's also weird and disjointed. And if you look at it as a whole, it there's stuff that just doesn't make sense. And that's what it's supposed to be. I don't know. It was just that connective. A movie doesn't have to be a very straightforward linear plot. It can be more about the tone of a thing or the emotion of the thing, or just the experience of the thing. And that's a, that's a big thing, I think, with a lot of David Lynch. 
if you look at some things where it's like, well, there's a lot of memorable moments, but it's like, it doesn't make sense. It's because it's not necessarily about the big reveal or about some amazing intricate plot. It's about the experience of this thing. And so that was kind of a big eye opener for me in terms of appreciating film. And it's not like I didn't think film wasn't some type of art form before, but it's like really bridging that gap between you've got art and then you got movies. And it's like, oh no, they don't have to be separate. These aren't necessarily separate concepts, even though most movies, most, all movies, if they have any kind of budget put behind them, they're a product and there's somebody expecting return on investment. But Lost Highway, I guess, opened my eyes to the fact that that doesn't have to mean it's just a product. It can still be an art form. Well, great, Randy. It's art. So what? It doesn't mean it's not pretentious. And that's one thing about David Lynch that I kind of appreciate. Because I don't feel like his work is pretentious at all. There are other directors who I won't mention. We have covered their movies on the show before that I like a lot. I think they're awesome. They're definitely on the more art house side, but some of their work can feel a bit pretentious. And I feel like this is what separates David Lynch from that is the idea of look at this. Aren't I clever? Isn't this deep? I'm so smart. And I've never felt by listening to interviews with David Lynch or reading interviews, seeing there's lots of videos of him online or in watching his movies, that he comes at it from that perspective. He is famously known to refuse to explain what the oddities in his movies mean, what they represent. In interviews, he never goes into what the symbolic meaning of this is or that. What's the chipmunk-cheeked lady that lives in the eraser head guy's <laughs> radiator? What's that? What's that mean? So why is that there? Is it just weirdness for the sake of weirdness? Because that feels a little pretentious too, right? And we've talked about this on the Grolix podcast. I think the Grolix podcast lives, live show specifically, Grolix Nights, what makes something pretentious and what makes it not pretentious. And I kind of feel it's all, it's all about, obviously, it's about the intention behind it, not the meaning behind it, but why, why did the, in this case, the filmmaker or the artist put this thing there? Was it to make make them seem smart or deep? And in David Lynch's case, I think he's just following his muse most of the time, I think. There are reasons for things to be there. A lot of it is tone setting. Like some of the really weird stuff, it's tone setting. Or there is some symbolic meaning. Sometimes the meaning behind things is obvious. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's not so subtle. And sometimes it's baffling. And I think... It's baffling to David Lynch too. He'll just get ideas and then just follow those ideas. He'll just follow his gut. Sometimes that leads to very unconventional and unusual decisions. <laughs> that alone doesn't make it good. I think he's got a good eye. He's got the artist's eye. He's got his gut, even though it leads to chipmunk cheek ladies singing in a in a in a heater and numerous other odd things that don't always work. It also often leads to fantastic things that are striking or disturbing. So I, I want to give a couple examples of what I mean, well, because this is all very vague and nebulous, but I want to give a couple examples, but I also don't want to get bogged down in movie by movie type details because that's not the purpose of this. So 
when there is meaning to these weird things, because that's the stuff I want to address because the not weird things, you know, whatever there's, there's people talking. Oh man. You know what? Even that there's people talking the way his dialogue scenes are constructed and the way they're often delivered and edited and the pacing. It's so, it's so interesting because Lynch is all about experimenting. I recall hearing about, there was a lot of kind of strife between him and Showtime, the producers of uh, Twin Peaks, The Return. If you followed the news leading up to that at all, you've heard some of it. But there was one thing where he was consistently, David Lynch, by the way, directed all 18, I think, 18 hour-long episodes of Twin Peaks, The Return. This is amazing. The show is, even if you're a fan of Twin Peaks, I'm sure you probably feel conflicted about the return, Twin Peaks, the return, but you have to, even if you're on the side of like, well, it sucked. You have to admit, like, I kind of thought David Lynch was done as a filmmaker. I thought he was just going to be content with doing his short films and his, his other art projects. He's always does other, he's painting and writing, you know, he'll release music. So I thought as a feature filmmaker, I was like, ah, kind of sucks. I'm, I think he's he's probably done. We probably won't get more David Lynch feature films. I don't know why. I just kind of, it'd been a long time. So I was like, yeah, he's probably done. And then we essentially got an 18 hour long <laughs> Twin Peaks movie. So listen, you don't have to love it. But if you're a David Lynch fan, I'm sure you got to appreciate that in some respect. Anyway, one of the frustrations I remember reading about that David Lynch had while making Twin Peaks The Return was the shooting schedule. He'd get frustrated because they'd be, you know, of, of course the production, whoever, the producers, the Showtime, whoever is responsible for paying for this thing. They need like, you have X amount of days with this person or to do this, or, you know, we need like a shooting schedule. And he would get frustrated because that didn't give them the opportunity to the, like set aside time to just how, how did he put it to dream? basically I'm guessing what that means is like shoot the stuff they need, but then also let's just shoot some stuff. Let's just improv some stuff, come up with random scenes. I don't know what exactly he meant, but to dream. And I love that idea. So it's the whole thing of it's very deliberate. Like I said about the dialogue, the pacing, it's all very deliberate yet at the same time, there's this free flowing kind of improv, just follow the muse aspect to his work. It's interesting to have both at the same time. All right, back on track, reeling it back in when there's meaning to these things, they can range from subtle to not subtle to very obvious. Some examples of kind of the subtle meaning or not the meaning, my interpretation of the meaning as well as, you know, kind of informed by some things I've read about in this case, still talking about twin peaks, the return, which I realize is not a movie, but kind of reading a little bit about because Twin Peaks is not fully a David Lynch thing. He also worked with Mark Frost. Mark Frost is a big force behind Twin Peaks as well. Reading a little bit about how he approached it. The end of the season, the end of the return is really, I think we're a big, I won't lie. I was like, so into the season and I was disappointed because I was still expecting it to not be David Lynch, I guess. I was expecting something conventional and we're never going to get that. But what we did get seems completely nonsensical. But it's not. 
because the show is not Twin Peaks. The return is not really about agent Dale Cooper and Laura Palmer. It's about trying to recapture something from the past. It's such a meta thing. It's about, it's about Twin Peaks, the show. It's about trying to bring back the show of Twin Peaks and spoilers for Twin Peaks, the return. If you haven't watched it and you plan to, I mean, if you're a Twin Peaks fan and you haven't watched it, what are you doing? But I'm going to give some spoilers. So towards the end of the season, somehow we have Agent Cooper back in time to come across a young Laura Palmer the night she gets murdered and he tries to save her. And the whole sequence, I love the sequence. It is amazing. It's very well done. It's super creepy, super intense. And he's running through the woods with her. And ultimately he can't. He can't. And why can't he save her? Because the past is the past. What's done is done. You can't go back and you can't recapture this thing. You you can try to go back and re-resurrect Twin Peaks, the TV show, but it's not going to be the same. And that's the whole point of this. He tried to go back and save Laura Palmer, pull her from the past to change what happened. And he couldn't. Or couldn't he? Because then he ends up in this other place as someone else, he comes across Laura Palmer, but she's not Laura Palmer. It's the same actress, but she's somebody else. He knows her as Laura Palmer. She doesn't know what he's talking about because she's somebody else. And so he's trying to save her there. And again, this is on the one hand, like super baffling. But if you think about it, he tried to bring Twin Peaks back. You can't bring something back from the past. And if you can manage to resurrect something to bring it back, it's not going to be the same. And I think that's kind of the, at least that's my interpretation of the core of this. He tried to save Laura Palmer. He tried to bring Twin Peaks back as it was. He was able to bring it back, but it's not the same. It's not Twin Peaks. It's not Laura Palmer. It's something else. Maybe that's not subtle. <laughs> I, I know I set this whole thing up as saying, well, it's subtle. Maybe that's not subtle, but it's also not super obvious. And Maybe that's not the intention of that whole sequence, that whole end of the series, but that's the way I interpreted it. And I think that's kind of the most important thing. And that's kind of the point of David Lynch doesn't like to explain things. And there's a great YouTube video. I'm going to include a link to it in the show notes. Uh, it's called uh, David Lynch, the treachery of language. You should definitely check that out. If you're interested in, you know, kind of a little piece of the pathology behind David Lynch's art. But I mentioned the video because it brought up a quote and I found it somewhere else here in an article from the New Yorker, but this is a quote attributed to David Lynch. And it's that as soon as you put things in words, no one ever sees the film the same way. And that's what I hate, you know, talking. It's real dangerous. <laughs> I love that quote. Honestly, there are of course, lots of less subtle very on the nose, very intentionally in your face, symbolic things. I always think of, you know, for an example of this, I always think of the opening of Blue Velvet, which is a fantastic movie. Blue Velvet very much has kind of one of the reoccurring themes or motifs of, of Lynch films. It's got the sheen of Norman Rockwell America, this Americana, this like classic, pristine, colorful, happy America, where the film opens, I think it's right at the opening, but super saturated, bright colors. It's, you know, it's like um, kind of a suburban American household, 
literally it's it's funny to me it's so over the a fire bright red fire truck drives by in slow motion and there's even somebody on there waving at the camera as it goes by and then we go into the yard the camera focuses down into the grass and then we go underground and just see like insects crawling and it's it's like there's the movie that is the key theme of the entire movie is like the the filth the filth the the grime the seedy underbelly of you know an otherwise glossy idyllic surface everything's not as it seems that's a that's a very common theme it seems like in a lot of his work and there's also the the aspect of the journey is more important than the destination which is a very not american thing other countries have more of a thing where it's like it's about don't look at the destination it's about the experience of getting there because that's life the destination is you die you you can't focus on that but you know america probably other countries but whatever i'm american so i'm i, I know more about kind of the american mentality but the america thing is it's 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 the destination it's you do what you got to do to get what you want to get to this point which you know whatever this isn't that's not what this episode is about but the david lynch i guess mentality is it's not necessarily about the destination at the end of listen at the end of twin peaks the return chances are you're going to feel i don't know confused a little disappointed maybe let down but the journey to get there was amazing same with something like lost highway like i like the end of lost highway but at the end you're expecting answers and there are none you're on the lost highway man <laughs> it's how the movie ends Oh, that movie. Look, I just want to talk about that movie for a moment. So I loved it. It's one of those movies that I would then make a point to show all my friends, show anybody I got a chance to like, oh, you haven't seen Lost Highway? And more often than not, they they were like, what is this? It'd get over. They'd be like, I don't get it. And be like, you either do I, but I love it. And what I don't get is like, you know, if you try to really, you're following one main character. Well, there's several main characters, but your your main character goes about halfway through the movie, gets put in prison. And then is replaced with another character. Like literally the main character disappears and we get another character in his place to where the prison guards are like, who's this guy? What's going on? They're as confused as the viewer. And then the movie, he gets let out of jail. The movie follows him. And that's, that's what's happening. There are very few filmmakers that can capture the true feeling of a nightmare <laughs> or a dream in any other medium that's not nightmare or dream. <laughs> okay, whatever. I've rambled enough. Uh, real quick, I just want to go through a couple of those movies. A few of the ones that I really like, what's notable about them, and maybe even comment on a couple that I'm not a big fan of. Eraserhead, his first film, took him literal years to make. It's amazing. That's one of the things I really appreciate about David Lynch is the fact that, man, he is so consistent. There's a technique, a certain style, that is undeniably David Lynch throughout all of his work, right back to Eraserhead. And it's kind of amazing. Blue Velvet is another great one. I think, you know, a lot of people would agree with that if they're David Lynch fans. Wild at Heart is actually, I, I kind of can't stand it. I do not care that much for Wild at Heart because Wild at Heart takes a lot of that, it's a lot of that like Americana imagery, that like Norman Rockwell gone wrong imagery. There's literal 
Wizard of Oz, good witch, bad witch thing going on. And in Wild at Heart, for me, it doesn't work. And I don't know what it is. It's like the movie's too bright and colorful in a way. Like, I mean, it's definitely dark and there's dark scenes, but something about it. I mean, Nicolas Cage doing a doing an Elvis impersonation essentially through the whole thing. I, I can't stand it. Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. I love that movie, though. Lost Highway is great. The Straight Story. This one's super interesting because this is... And, of course, I skipped Elephant Man and Dune. But uh, The Straight Story is super interesting because it is very not Lynchian in a way. On one hand, it is because it's an American tale in a way. It's, it's very rural America. He didn't write that one. It's one of the only ones that he doesn't have a writer credit for. It's based on a true story. It follows an old guy who doesn't have a license. His brother's dying, I think, in another state. And so to get there, he drives a riding lawnmower all the way there. I think it might even been produced by Disney or something. It's so strange. It's kind of an anomaly, but it is also a good movie and relatively free of these extreme lynchisms, except there's one scene. There's one scene where it's so lynch. And I was like, he, he had to put it in there somewhere where I think it's like the guy's crossing a bridge or whatever, but it just cuts to kind of a faraway shot and you get a very ominous sound tone, musical tone, even though there's not really anything ominous necessarily happening. And then the next scene continues on and it's all normal. It's like, what was, what was that for? That was for David Lynch. Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive, man. That one, I like it. I appreciate it. There's some really interesting stuff in there that baffled me initially, but the more I think about it, like I kind of love that it's got this strange nebulous thing going on. But it, the end is so depressing. Like I can't, I I think I've only watched the full thing through once and then otherwise bits and pieces which I know he would hate. And I think that DVD was unusual because and I think this was a David Lynch stipulation where like there's no chapters chapter skips you can skip to chapters and i believe i read at some point that was a david lynch thing is like no you don't you, you have to watch the whole thing that's how a movie is supposed to be taken in so he would hate that i've only seen bits and pieces after that initial viewing but the end is so depressing like that end messed me up it ruined my night man when i watched this initially way back when this came out in 2001 so it was probably right around that time that ruined my night <laughs> that said Mulholland Drive has one of the greatest jump scares in movie history. It is amazing. Inland Empire, God, what a disjointed thing that is. There's parts of Inland Empire that I really enjoy. It's all over the place. I mean, it's literally, there's sections that were not, like, it's just, let's cut together some of the stuff I had shot for something else. Let's just put it in there. Oh, and real quick, since the title of this episode will be a reference to what did Jack do? I enjoyed that short. I think it was originally produced in 2016 or 17, but it was released on Netflix just last week. And I enjoyed it. It's 17 minutes long. It's essentially one scene and it's perfectly David Lynch. It's pure David Lynch, but also it's kind of light. It's on the lighter tone. It's, it's kind of a farce and it's pretty much one scene and it's David Lynch in the scene, David Lynch and a monkey. And the monkey has a human mouth composited over it. So it has dialogue and it's like a film noir detective pulp movie scene. And it's kind of fun because it doesn't take itself seriously. The dialogue is, it's like 
nothing but old detective cliche dialogue and barnyard animal puns. It's, it's interesting. I appreciate David Lynch's short film work because they're either pure nightmare fuel territory or really just wacky him doing strange stuff. David Lynch's acting, it's on point. I always thought in the original Twin Peaks, his character, he played an FBI agent. His character was hard of hearing and he delivered his dialogue a certain way. And I always thought that was one, you know, for kind of comedic effect, but also like kind of a clever way to maybe mask less than stellar acting chops. But in Twin Peaks, The Return, he reprised the character. And I thought he had some really good scenes. He did some good acting. And this kind of reinforces that, man, David Lynch, he's a pretty good actor because his delivery in this, for the most part, like there's a couple lines that are maybe a little wooden, but he brings the intensity to some of these lines in this short film. But if you haven't checked it out, whatever, it's like 50, it's barely over 15 minutes long, especially if you're a Lynch fan, give it a look. It's, it's kind of ridiculous, but it's fun. And that inspired this whole rant. So we'll be back next month. There's two more regular episodes this season. We are continuing the horror. I know I deviated a little bit. God, that's a whole other aspect I didn't even get into. The idea of like Lost Highway and a lot of Lynch movies being horror movies. But I know I deviated from the horror thing a little bit. But we're continuing the horror season. We've got two more regular episodes and one more special that will wrap up the season. So come back and we'll have we'll have the regular double feature. We'll have a guest of some kind. And we'll have some fun talking about horror movies. Till then, I've been Randall Sylvie. You can find me on Twitter at Randall Sylvie. It's R-A-N-D-A-L-S-I-L-V-E-Y. Or go to RandallSylvie.com. You can find Grolix Podcast and Grolix Cinematic Universe at GrolixPodcast.com. G-R-A-W-L-I-X Podcast.com. Find us on Twitter. You can find GCU specifically at GCU Podcast. I don't know if what I initially set out to do with this episode is going to come across at all, but if you're a David Lynch fan, maybe to listen and be like, yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Or it makes me think of this part of that movie or that part of this movie. And if you're not a David Lynch fan, maybe to kind of explain like, how could somebody like this weird stuff? I don't think I did that well, but that was a little bit of the intention. And then ultimately, like I said, it's my birthday. I just wanted to talk about one of my favorite things and one of my favorite things is David Lynch. <laughs>